You're listening to Inside Out with Turner and Seth. And we have part two of Mark Brownstein, basis of Star Kitchen, Disco Biscuits, co-founder of Headcount, blah, 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 on and on. Destroyer of New York City, New Year's. Jets fan. Great father. But uh, first, we want to thank our sponsor, of course, Pole Clark. It's 2020. You know what that means. You want someone who can see what benefits are out there in the financial world. Someone who can see, see the into future. the future. Yes. Someone yes. Who's, who's not thinking of just, you know, to the end of the year or the end of the month, who's thinking about what's best for you 10 years from now, 15 it's years from now. It's not just what he thinks of you. It's what they think of you. All of them. Because you have a team at Pole Clark. Check them out. Accounting coming up. The yeah. end of the year. Pole Clark. And as always, we're proud members of Osiris. The Osiris Podcast Network. Seth, Freak Flag Flying. By the time this episode airs, Freak Flag Flying should be available. The first episode. And, that's and, David, and what is that, Rob? It's David Crosby in conversation with Steve Silberman. Wow. Did, sh- please stay out of that conversation, Rob. I don't want you getting blocked again. I know, David. <laughs> Crazy blocked me because I was asking questions or answering questions about Isle of Wight. Yeah, but I love the guy. I love the guy. And uh, Steve Silberman is the one you may not know of unless you're a pretty savvy deadhead. He was a co-producer of their box set. He also is a a brilliant man who's written books and done lectures, including one at the uh, United Nations about autism. And he's just an all-around great fella. And Crosby will be very comfortable with him. They've known each other for a long time, so I think... You're going to get a truly unique window into David Crosby, and you'll learn about Steve as well. Do you think it will be a podcast that's more interview-based, or do you think it will be uh, produced like kind of how like the Fish podcasts have been done? I don't like know. The, uh, the um, After Midnight, which was also great. Excellent Jesse, as great well. Job. I don't know, but even if they're just sitting there talking, that'll be enough for me. You like, well, I'm curious what, you, what your thoughts are. Well, What's your predictions? What's your over-under? Are you 110? 120? I think at? there'll be a little music, but I think most of it, it'll be music from David's most recent releases, and then mostly it'll be conversation with Steve and David. And then, you know, they're planning on talking about the birds and all this kind of stuff. They're going to talk about back. the birds and the bees? Oh, boy. Oh, it's a boy, boy chick. It's a boy chick. All right, so that's going to be really great. Also, I want to remind you folks, because yes, a lot of podcast them. listeners are like me, where a podcast comes out and they'll be interested in it, but they kind of put it in a queue and they wait and all that stuff. With the jam Base podcast... That's one you might want to listen to right away, particularly if you're someone who's interested in the Jam Bam world, but you're not constantly checking Jam Jam based blogs every day because they open with um, a summation of recent developments and all that kind of stuff, which is something you want to hear, you know, immediately. It's it's it, it can be dated if you go back and listen, which I I do when I uh, research. I often go and just skip ahead to the interviews. But when you listen to Jam Base podcast right away, you want to start it right at the beginning. And they've got different segments in their show. Yes, they have like the. The Art of the Set List. Yeah, like they have all, kind, all kinds of little stuff. Yeah. Um, Art of the Sit-In, I think it's called. You know, uh, Jam Crew's coming up. You know, Scotty B is going to be all over that ship, and he, he just gets better and better and deeper and deeper interviews uh, every year, and uh, I'm excited to hear what what he uh, pulls off the ship. And Scotty's at Jam Base, and Jam Base today, again, like every year, today and yesterday, released a slew of reviews of New Year's Eve shows. Yep. Like I said, for jam bands, New Year's Eve is like Super Bowl song. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. It's really, you really learn, you can get a window into what bands are bringing their A-game, what bands are putting effort into their work and all that sort of thing. Uh-huh. All bands, I mean, you saw a band even on New Year's after we saw, we watched, we streamed Fish and then you saw. Voodoo Visionary at the Isle 5. It was wonderful. Uh, future guest Brad Parsons sat in. Yeah. I and uh, the new great. keyboardist who's also future guest, I'm flaking on his name, but he was just crushing it. They Murphy, I think. Not Murphy. I Mitchell. don't think so. Starts with M. I'm bad. Yeah. 
Yeah, you are bad. I also want to make a quick appeal. To oh, our, a quick appeal to our listeners. Um, we're, I'm sorry we haven't had many releases this month, but um, there was a pause, right? Right. But listen, we're not going to ask. We're not going to come here on the radio here or on the podcast world and say to you, "Can you help us out financially?" Because we're not. not we're not going to do that, right? Right, Rob? Not yet. Not yet. Hopefully, trying, never. Actually, we're trying to avoid that. But you know how you can help us? You all can help us by just sharing the podcast you like with friends that would listen. Share, make reviews on the uh, iTunes and... Five-star reviews. And tell, like this episode, Biscuits fans, tell them, you know, check this out, Mark Brownstein. Uh, our last episode, check it out, Mark Brownstein and John Gutwillig. Because we're looking forward to, in the 2020, bringing you uh, much more quality and uh, much more quantity. Yeah, we want the st- quality we've been really working on. Now we want to step up the quantity and 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 get more interviews for you all more consistent basis the more the more listeners we have the more we're in a position to uh knock stuff out quickly and and you know bring you a lot a lot of uh, a wide variety of great entertainment so so we're we back. Had, we've done a bunch of interviews we've got stuff in the can we're very fun. excited yeah, it's been it's been nice getting back to it you're doing the keller williams interview and then railroad earth in, railroad earth in the studio and doing the studio in the way we've been really wanting to do it and it like organically happened what a great what a great thing railroad earth who uh, we really want to get in the studio because they have this new sound we want to help them flaunt it they also have all for their song all for the song uh a forthcoming release which mm-hmm. they actually did the t- title track for us but we'll we're probably gonna wait we'll release our uh our show around that yeah but they've been uh, Matt Slocum and Mike Robinson have joined them and definitely fleshed out. We got to get Slocum back. He lives in Atlanta. We got to do stuff with him. And you know what? Twenty twenty, Rob. We're not actually Rob and I. We're talking Rob. Did we tell everyone what we're thinking. Go ahead. All right. Well, Rob and I are thinking we'd like to do more events in twenty twenty. Uh, we got a lot of feedback from our listeners. Thank you for that. And apparently, you all too would like to see more live events. So we're going to curate some different things. I'm thinking Vankmans. You're thinking Vankmans. So maybe Vankmans. And um, remember, when we do do them, please buy the tickets in advance because it helps them staff the room. That was one of the problems we had in our previous ones was that more people would show up than they were prepared for because a lot of these or you know. Uh, places base their staffing on. So you know sales. what, Rob? We'll give the people uh, stronger uh, artist participation. Participation. Well, Precipitation. <laughs> one like more thing. Uh, way to say that, yeah. One more thing, Rob. Tomorrow I'm going to see uh, Indigo Girls at Terminal West. Ooh. It'll be the smallest venue I've seen them in since my first show. Uh, yeah, I saw them in 1988 at the Paradise Rock Club in Boston. Um, I think Terminal West is slightly bigger than that, so it still won't be my smallest. But in Atlanta, like, didn't they just play like the symphony? They can play anyway. Yeah, they did two nights at Woodruff Soldado. They can do anything. But they're oh, doing yeah. it in benefit for El. I hope I'm pronouncing this right because I'm just well, benefit. learning. Yes, I'm just learning about this organization, El Refugio. El Refugio. Yes, I like to know about them. A ministry of hospitality and visitation serving immigrants at the Stewart Detention Center. These are, mm-hmm. I don't want to say victims, but it's in the ballpark of victims of the ICE. Um, I'm not. Someone who I understand there are problems with immigration, but I think they involve a very small percentage of the so immigrants this is helping the folks. That yes, really need and to I, help. and I also understand we want to honor the people who came to the country legally and all that sort of thing. But uh, what's people, the website? Let's uh, let's all learn a little bit about this. What is it? E L R E F U G I O S T E W A R T dot org. And for those who have ADHD, say that again. E L R E F U G I O Stuart.org. Was his name? Oh, <laughs> these guys, they offer lodging, meals, and support to families visiting loved ones detained at Stuart Detention Center. They also uh, take individuals or groups 
in there and they also educate the community kind of raise awareness about it and then uh hopefully when this all comes to an end they will have uh, retraining or you know to help them assimilate back into society these folks and i love this i love hearing about these bands out there these artists out there that are doing something for a cause they care about it you keep seeing this more and more and and folks you, uh, those of you that have listened to the show know that i'm not just a podcast host i'm your rock chenier and it's a pleasure to see more and more artists participating in philanthropy and the you know just there's so much power when we, we the those of us that love music when we're coming together and sharing sharing this experience to be able to actually do a lot of good with the world so that's just just great Okay, that's uh, E-L-R-E-F-U-G-I-O-S-T-E-W-A-R-T dot org. So now we're going to jump in back into the... <laughs> when I got to speak with Mark Brownstein at Terminal West. So it's a long interview. Maybe we should just... Uh, very sweet guy. Made time for us once again. Love him. Love him. I've been seeing his music, plays music for over 20 years. You should come on Jam Cruise and see him on Jammer Size. It's well, going to be know, one hell of a workout. You know, my budget got screwed this month. Uh, so ladies and gentlemen, stolen. Brownie. listening to funk and soul and r&b i never really studied it as a musician i you know the way that i studied jazz or the way that i studied you know rock and the way that i deconstructed electronic music and stuff like that uh i just missed like this you know 10 or 15 year period of the golden years of of, of american music and so i started circling back around you know inspired by people who were inspired by that, you know, inspired by Carl and by Sharon and, and by the Dap Kings, I started to dig back a generation and play along with it. And and the original idea, and it's funny the way how things get away from you, you know what I mean? It's like you got to start somewhere, though. But my original idea was very much I just wanted to just stay in that box. I wanted to be... I want to learn how to play that music and play that music only, like, and have it sound like Soul Live or New Master Sounds, or that's what I wanted to do. Um, but you know that that's not going to happen. You're going to put four people in the room, and they're going to put, put they're going to each play, and the combination of that is ultimately what it's going to end up sounding like, lest you know you're 
like composing in a dictatorial fashion and you're like here's the song and play it exactly like this but that's just not how i am we we i'm more of an interpreter than than that than you want to assimilate the personality the musical personalities i want to yeah I, whole I wanna, is greater than the sum of its parts God. i want to interact i want interaction i crave for like musical conversation you know, and so just like I crave for human interaction and human conversation off the stage, on the stage I crave for the guys to be listening to what I'm playing and reacting to it and, and vice versa. So um, I knew that I wanted to start a funk band. I figured that there's probably people in Philly that could do that, but I didn't know anybody who played funk, really. So I, uh, one day I was in the living room and my son's friend was like hey i hear you're in a band my dad's in a band and you know kind of was like okay cool and what that what band is your dad in you know and he was like he's he plays uh in uh alan evans trio and <laughs> eric krasno's band eric krasno band and i go what does he play and he goes he plays guitar in eric krasno's band so my answer was <laughs> Is your dad Eric Krasno? <laughs> and he's like, no, he's the other guitarist. To which I said, you know, wow, if 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 your dad plays guitar in Eric Krasno's band, he must be quite the guitar player. Yeah. So I kind of got to where I wanted to seek this guy out. I knew his name was Danny Mayer, and I heard that his son was playing a little league game. My son was like, oh, Jaden has a little league game today, and I was like, great, let's go. That's Let's comforting. Go. I thought you were going to random Little League games. I was going to get concerned. Yeah, and I went, to, went down there, saw a dude sitting on the you know, stands with a jazz hat on and walked right over and was like, you must be Danny. <laughs> I'm Mark. I play bass in the Disco Biscuits. And he was like, nice to meet you. And I was like, hey, man, I, uh, my, your kids are friends. You know, I know, you, you know, I know his kid's mom is also friends with Deb and, and myself as well. And I had already previously known his kid's mom and the whole family the brother and the, his other brother and his sister i knew them through like kind of our circle of friends in philly you know they're fish fans and dead fans too and and so that is a tight-knit community of course in any neighborhood you eventually sniff out all of the fish and dead fans oh, it's my block and and we'll get if you we can expound on this but my block in philly is all fish fans now it's just like up and down the block uh in the last two years they're coming they're mo they're moving in that's what my podcast network's like <laughs> so uh he i said you know i'm interested in starting a funk band and he was like dude and i was like you you kind of want to you want to do that and he's like well the eric krasno thing is kind of coming to an end right now we've just been touring for two years on this album and it's about to end and I have all the time in the world. Let's do it. And so we started out with just the two of us getting together and playing along with, you know, James Brown. And we'd play along. And then I'd turn the music off and we'd just kind of jam together. And I could feel that our pocket was really tight together. And, you know, it, we were able to keep a really funky groove going without a drummer or a keyboard player, just bass and guitar. Not an easy thing to do. Something that when we were a lot younger, you know, the drummer would stop playing and the jam would fall apart. You know, my my fault. You know, but 
the drums used to drop out back in 1997 or 1996 and the whole groove would fall apart i would just you know wouldn't have that groove still tight in me so when um i recognized that we had that kind of chemistry and and he immediately was like hey do you know rob marsher to of course i know rob marsher were you at the show at the the roadside attraction you remember rob marshall's original band it was called roadside attraction they opened for i remember addison groove okay well were you at a biscuit show at the mat in the middle east downstairs it was a four band bill moon boot lover disco biscuits and this band from columbia was that one of those jambands.com tour shows it was like a four yeah i don't know what i, it was. I, I mean i saw you guys in middle east so downstairs, i probably was so the first band of four on one of those shows was this band roadside attraction and I remember them clearly because they had the song called Jacinda. And we loved the song. It was like, hey, now Jacinda. Da, 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 da. Hey, now Jacinda. Looks like I got you, but you're always to get back. No, it will be all right. Two years later and I only heard it that one night you know I mean I never like I just heard the song and it stuck with me forever wow the person who wrote that song is Rob Marsher and he was in high school at this time and we just you know we met then and then he Addison Groove came around and he was like hey we met at Roadside Attraction so we've known each other through the years and have kept a connection back to that although that goes all the way back to that first meeting and he's um, an extremely high highly regarded guy player and person People just love the guy, so... Yeah, so he had moved to Philly to work at... Uh, he's also, like, a tech IT guy. You know, he's a really smart guy. He had been at Red Bank, right? He codes. He moved to Philly? He makes websites, and he makes websites for CID. That's wow. one of the things that he... That's why he moved to Philly. He was working there full-time, and now he now he's a contractor. And he does... So he has time to play. Yeah, so now he, now he has... He had to become a contractor if we were going to go out on any tour ever. But, uh, yeah, you know, the guy's amazing guy, and he's a stellar player. Yeah. He's played with Modest Yahoo. Still does. Just did a whole summer tour with Modest Yahoo. Jen. Plays in Jen's band. Plays with Jen. Jen Hartswick, I mean. You know, an Addison Groove project is... I, I went on the road with them and Uncle Sammy for a few shows once. Powerhouse in their own right. Only show I ever saw in Morgantown, West Virginia was those two. Pleasant, Pleasant, one, two, three, Pleasant Street. Where was it? Yeah, some, some kind of a dumpy place. It was big, but a little dumpy, you know, but in a nice way. Uh huh. Yeah. So, the, and then we, you know, we really took the time that we needed to find the right drummer because we tried out a bunch of drummers and they were actually all great. Every single one of the drummers was amazing. Uh, but. 
when we but when Marlon started playing, there was a, a kind of a chemistry that it you could just feel it instantaneously. It was like that's it. Tell that's our listeners it. who he's played with. It's impressive. Yeah, so Marlon has a kind of a, a pocket that makes you laugh. Like his pocket, it, 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 it literally makes you laugh. Like he'll do something and you'll be like, the way that it, the beat will swing for a second, you'll turn around and like start laughing and he'll be already, he, he's already got the smile on. <laughs> like he knows that the thing that he did, that was merely just where he placed Emphasis? Drums, like, and, and it, it has an emotional reaction. Uh, he plays with uh, Lauren Hill. He just did it. He was out in Scotland with her. He just played in Anaheim and Sonoma with her last week or two weeks ago. Uh, he plays with Lauren Hill. He's, he played with John Legend when John Legend was touring. You know, now he's, like, in Christy Teigen and, like, Broadway, you know, Jesus Christ Superstar Land. But, um, but Lauren has some interesting rhythms going on, so it makes sense that maybe he has a nuanced view of rhythm. Yeah, and you know, he 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 downplayed it at first, like his like ability to play just straight funk. Like I think he downplayed that when we first met him. But like, he kind of was like almost acting like he didn't know the songs that well. But like, as I've gotten to know him, he knows everything song in and out he's an encyclopedia of funk and 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 r&b and soul music and uh and but it's all about the pocket and the feel and it, it his pocket's incredible and and technically he's but having that encyclopedic knowledge superior. behind the drums does that tempt you to maybe play some real deep cut really like when robert walter covers the meters he likes to do really obscure stuff right or, yeah we do a lot of deep cuts we call we call marsha has a lot of nicknames you know what I mean? Um, but one of them is Deep Cut Marsher, you know, because he's coming up with the stuff that nobody's ever heard. Nice. You know, you, you know, one band might play, you know, uh, a Diodato version of a hit song, but we're playing the Diodato song you've never heard, you know. And it's dope, but, you know, it's not, it's not a hit. Which song would that be? Uh, it's called September 13. And what you are know? some of the other Deep Cut songs that you do? There's so many. Or of just them. a couple. Uh, just I a couple. Nobody, the, the true nature of the deep cut is that nobody knows what they are. So that's well, as long as you play them right, it's we're playing them. You know, don't worry about what they are. We play a lot of hits too. You know, I mean, we've been playing "Lovely Day" and singing it. You know, and playing. We've been playing "Kiss" and singing it. I heard instrumental version of Stevie Wonder song that uh, Rob was in the forefront. Living in the City, I think. It was. Oh, yeah, we'll do Living in the City, which is a hit. But Sure, it's but the way not, you guys do it, you reinterpret it. But it's not the hit. And, well, we try to reinterpret everything. And that's sure. the thing about Marlon is you never know when he's going to just break down and throw a clap in, and all of a sudden you're going to be in, like, a deep hip-hop groove. Oh, you know, and that happens in Living in the City all the time, and it's awesome. You know what I mean? It's, it's so dope because my – one of my close friends came to the first Star Kitchen channel and he's like, all right, you guys are remixing stuff live. Like that's, it sounds like you're taking these classic songs and remixing them, you know? And to me, that was the greatest compliment because the point is, the point was to copy the music exactly originally, but then it ended up not being that. And we did, we don't copy the music exactly. We play a kind of a unique take on it. And, and ultimately that's even more rewarding. 
And you said Rob's playing was described to you as like getting in a, in a warm bed playing with him. And isn't the ethos of the band, even though tonight you're playing on your own, but Star Kitchen, it's sort of so these star players can come sit in with you and it, it's like getting into a kitchen and, and you know what I mean? That it's, it's not, you could do super jams with them and it's not your normal super jam. You could really have a strong foundation for them to come in and cook. Yeah, and for this tour, I think we're, we're trying to get comfortable just being the four of us. And there's moments like we brought the deep banana blackout horns up the other night in Hartford, and it was incredible. Those guys, Rob and Rob, uh, Volo and Somerville, they were just, they're, they're superior players and singers, and, and they know the music in and out, and they have their own versions. We did Let the Music Take Your Mind, you know, which we kind of do in like the Grey Boy all-stars style but sometimes we'll slow it way down and do kind of a cool in the gang version and we did kind of a hybrid where we were playing it at that kind of gray boy feel a faster feel but those dudes had their horns and then they started singing it and i didn't even know they were going to sing it but then you know that's kind of the cool in the gang version is with vocals (laughs) and uh it was awesome, you know, and it's just for me spending the two or three years and learning all of these songs, you know, like not all of them on bass, but learning all of the music kind of, you know, by name and to look, you know, deconstructing a lot of it musically and putting it into my repertoire has been uh, an incredible experience. It's all deep cuts to me, you know, what I mean, unless we're playing like Prince, you know and stuff the stuff's all deep cuts to me and we try not to play the wedding band stuff but sometimes we do because you know it's fun and you know we'll be in the room and dan will be like oh let's do this or marlon will be like yo why don't we do this but we started playing um i don't even know a lot of the names of some of the songs we play to be honest with you you know i mean like we just like i'll learn the song in and out and then and then uh i'll never even know the name but we started playing do that stuff by you know p-funk and uh you stretch on it's, it? Yeah, oh, we stretch it way out. And, you know, but it's like the deepest, most pockety groove of all time. We started playing it last week, and it's just, it's making me a better bass player. You know, it's like I'm, I'm stretching out of my comfort zone and forcing myself to really dig into a feel that we don't do, that the, the you know, funk is predominantly heavily swung music. It's like really swinging. And, and the biscuits are are straight. You know, we, we don't play with a lot of swing. You know, Magellan's got swing in it, and some of the songs, uh, Froglex has a kind of a swing and heron and Bird. beat. And yeah, there's a couple songs that have some swing. Yeah, but some of the songs have a little bit of a swing. But you know, predominantly it's more straight. You know, we play it straight, and we could probably just swing the whole thing by saying, "Hey, let's swing this right now." You know, but it's just not the sound that we've played over over the years. At any rate. It's just making me a, a much more versatile bass player with a you know a bigger palette of, of of you know paints to color with and you know a larger vocabulary of riffs and and patterns and stuff and to me that's what it's all about you know Star Kitchen Tractor Beam like whatever it is if you're doing it and it's making you better as a musician as a student you know as you know you're a lifelong student of music if you're a musician uh uh if it's helping you grow artistically and creatively then 
then it's worth doing regardless of how many people come to the show and you know between you and me and all of your podcast fans sometimes not a lot of people come to the shows you know especially uh, on weeknights you know weeknights you're going to go out there you know you, you know even last saturday where hartford's not a notoriously great town for music and we went out on a saturday and i, I you know it's like you don't know you, one of the jokes we make is if a show doesn't go well, you always can point to like, oh, well, there was the wine festival out. And right. like these days, Ben Baruch makes this joke all the time. He's like, managers will pick stuff that's three hours away and be like, and then out at like, hey, there was, what about the flower festival out in Montauk really hurt us? Mort Saul was you at know? the tea room. But Vita Blue was at the cap and Lettuce was in, in Huntington at the Paramount Theater and Soundtribe Sector 9 was with an amazing like festival lineup in Brooklyn and our fans are the type of fans that if we're going to do well they're coming from there if we're going to do well in Hartford it's because people who go to the cap are coming out to Hartford and people who go out in New York City are coming up and supporting us that's the only way you do well in Hartford or Vita Blue it's people like from New Haven are coming and when you're going up against Paige for the first time in 15 Yeah, and it's years. not just the people going to the show. It's only like their third show, so people are streaming it. People are curious what they're going to play. You know, there's a whole curiosity beyond the people attending. What about originals? How many originals have you guys worked out so far? So we're n we've only sort of performed one original live at this point. And, um, but, you know, we have, like, we've got, like, you believe this train? Is yeah, this going to be on here again? Because if not this as is loud. on here again and we you were. have to go through this train editing situation again, it's ironic. This train's been going for a while. And if what I'm referring to, people, <laughs> is last time I was here at the Terminal West, I did an hour and 20-minute long podcast with my good friend Rob Turner and, and Shimon, Seth Wiener. And uh, they set me up outside next to a train track. And halfway through the thing, a train came and went by for 45 minutes. <laughs> about 20 minutes the, right. the, room, the room set us up That was just at the beginning Of our relationship With Terminal West Terminal West is now uh, Holds us a little more Higher regard Now that we have like Regular listeners I guess I don't know We should put up some Screens or something Over here Some sound <laughs> baffling Or what, what have you But yeah I don't The originals are You know That'd be great The more and more Can you play the original tonight? Nah we, we, Not during So we have sets. an able, We have an Ableton file Right now With like 10 ideas that nice. we're working on cool and it's just fine like between rob going on modest yahoo tour and like all these things that we were planning on doing this summer uh kind of got upended and and we've decided that when i get back from tractor beam next week and i could take a deep breath finally that we're going to start the monday after that when we get back we're going to start up and start really ripping through so that by the tail end of this tour we're starting to bring out the originals. But, I mean, I'll express vulnerability. You know, I'm impressed with Aaron that he made an album of original music and put it out, you know, for Spaga Band because it takes a lot of courage to do that. I don't have to do that. Like, I know there's people like Benji Eisen, who I know in podcast world a lot of you guys know, or you, or a lot of my friends are pushing me rightfully. Constantly. to Right from the time I met you. Rightfully pushing me to create um but uh, you know i have there's something within me that is scared to put myself out there now like you know deb was quoting somebody yesterday and i believe it was like you know like uh 
vulnerability is at the root of creativity. Vulnerability is the root of creativity. That's why Colonel Bruce always said he lives in the theater of embarrassment. Right. So I've written some of the worst songs of all time, and somehow they've connected with a lot of people. And that's kind of my vulnerability speaking. You know, I've, I've don't want to admit that anything I've ever done is good because, you know, I'm a fraud, you know, like everybody. See, this is so, where not being an artist is hard to understand that. Well, I think people listening who are artists themselves will understand that a lot more than those of us who are on. There's many, many people outside of the art world that have imposter syndrome. And by many people, I mean almost everybody. Let's be honest. If you're going to really be honest, even in the tech world, you read about this like crazy people feel like they're an imposter like they're you know it, it's just a thing like you know it's like I'm I'm until I see sometimes I'll watch a video and be like oh my god I really fucking know what I'm doing like you know what I mean in my head I'm thinking to myself I have no idea what's going on but like I do like I, I was watching me playing some of the Grateful Dead stuff a couple of weeks ago with John Cadillacek I stuck so deep on this Rob like I went like, I really believe that playing with John Katalichuk is making me a better musician. I, I, I mean, it doesn't matter what I believe. It is, it's made me better. He taught me some things that nobody else had ever taken the time to sit down and be like, hey, check this out. Like, um, if you use this note here as a passing tone, it sets you up really nicely to land here. He's like, just add one note in. Like, you know, if you add the sharp five in between the five, we were talking about major pentatonic. And he was like, you know, it's a really great thing to do for those musicians out there. I'll, I'll explain it so that it, it can connect a little bit. Um, and for everybody else, sorry. Hang on for uh, dear life, folks. <laughs> the, the, the pentatonic scale is, is a scale of five notes, hence penta. Uh, in uh, the major pentatonic, the notes are the root note, the second note, the third note, the fifth note, and the sixth note. And that's it. That's the pentatonic scale. People who play blues generally play within the pentatonic scale, minor or major. The minor has their own pentatonic scale, and uh, and um, it's the one, two, three, five, and, and seven. And uh, sorry, the one, three, four, five, and seven. And uh, But in the minor pentatonic, the flat five the sharp four is a really nice note and 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 people also use the sharp seven a lot and it's it, those are really nice passing tones that bring you to the five or bring you to the one uh and when you're looking for phrasing sometimes you might get to the note a note early if you you know sometimes you're like phrasing something and you need an extra note to land in the right spot so in the major pentatonic scale really nice passing tones are the sharp five and the sharp two so it'd be like you know one two sharp and then it's chromatic from the two to the three and it's chromatic from the five to the six and when you're playing in stuff that is triplet based which uh so much of the great full dead music is swung and the swing has kind of a triplet you know a triplet feel to get that swing going and um or so uh, so much of the music is six eight, you know, or twelve eight, and 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 the musicians know what I'm talking about. Those feels for you that would be like Magellan or Plan B, 
those you know triplet songs you know one two three one two three you know one two three four five six one two three four five six one two three four five six Magellan and Plan B are, are classic but very moon that no not that section that section's tw in 20 Is that's it? a really weird yeah that's yeah. that's five sets of four um uh, but another one, Fiddler, is another example. Or another triplet song is The End of Shemrabu. Or uh, okay. Three Wishes is another triplet song. So these are songs that... So w The Grateful Dead has a, you know exponential amount of these songs that f have this feel. Even the ones that aren't triplet-based are swung so hard that they're, that you can, you can play triplets over them to get that feel. It's like, you know, um, like in, in jazz, that's like the swing, you know, like... Da 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 reality it's swung over to a spot where you know where you could catch triplets over it and so like a swing in like melody would would have a lot of triplet flourishes in it so he showed me that these two sets of three notes are really helpful to play over those situations and it's something that perhaps I should know one might argue that somebody who's been a professional musician for 26 years should know all of this stuff first of all there's an in infinite amount of things to learn right. musically yeah. uh, secondly constant I, state of learning I've when you you know I, I got on the road before I was a master so there wasn't a, like there wasn't the time that I needed to do this stuff it was when I got off the road that I was able to really dig deep in the bass and be like alright now I have time to really sit down and learn how to do this we were like the punk rock of jam bands we were like the Ramones we were like played with <laughs> super super high energy and with all due respect the other three guys in the band are fucking unbelievable musicians but I know that I was coming from a place where I had a lot of catch up to play you know I really wanted to eventually do that work and so the Disco Biscuits secondly don't really play major pentatonic. It's just not our mode. It's that's the Grateful Dead. It's a very like bluesy. That's you know like uh, major pentatonic would be like you know Tedeschi Trucks Band or the Almond Brothers. You know all those Almond Brothers songs are all in major pentatonic. You'd instantly hear the thing and be like, oh, you know, oh, that's all. That's the Almond Brothers or Southern Rock or Watts for a Panic. Burt Mo Burt plays Burt the Burt major Burt. Pentatonic, you know, all these like kind of vibes are American, Southern, you know, deep like rooted roots music. Uh, and we're kind of more urban and we play in Phrygian mode and kind of Middle Eastern modes, lots of flat twos and flat sixes and, you know, chromatic stuff. Uh, intentionally to not sound like everything else but you might forget to master everything that comes before you so like I always ask the question is Picasso a master or was he just a creative genius could Picasso paint a fruit bowl and make it look exactly like a fruit bowl. Can he come here and sit down with the two of you and paint you and make it look exactly like you? I I think probably yes is the answer, right? He was probably, before he became famous for what 
he ultimately is remembered for. He probably was a straight artist. For he a while. probably learned how to master art, you right. know, and then was like, "All right, now what?" You know what I mean? I, I'm sure there's some. I'm didn't. not a. I'm not an. Uh, was Jackson Pollock a master? I don't know. And then he was like, "I'm just gonna fucking fling paint at the wall." Or did he just start by flinging paint at the wall, and that was so brilliant that he's Jackson Pollock, and everyone knows him. So, you know. For me, I discovered my own sound before mastering other people's sounds. So, you know, like now I'm reverse engineering my whole career and I'm going back and trying to master all of the stuff that came before me. You know, I learned a lot of it. I studied it. It takes decades to master music, you know, and and I started when I was really late. Like I got like inspired by like music and my late teen years is when I was like blown away into wanting to do this for a career. I loved music. You might read a, an interview of me talking about the Beatles and discovering the Beatles when John Lennon died and going and deciding I didn't want to do classical. I just wanted to learn rock songs and play Beatles. And I knew I always wanted to be a rock star. And I told Sandy that the first time we met, I want to be a rock star. Still trying. What did you learn from your Electron era, and what was behind, what inspired you to write Chemical Warfare Brigade? That's you, right? Well, Barbara inspired me to write Chemical Warfare Brigade. Because of the hot air thing. Yeah, I mean, it's just like, you know, trying to keep up with the gut willocks, you know? It's like, he was Good just... Good luck with that. Well, he asked, yeah, well, I will never will. You know, that's the thing that, you know, that one has to accept, you know, at some point. Like, I'm not, I never was Although, trying me, to... I love the, now, don't get me wrong, I love it. And you played it here in Atlanta once, the whole thing. Was never trying to outdo Barbara, was trying to to be to, inspired by I wanted to contribute and he said to us very early on you guys we have to all write songs and I took it to I took it to heart and pumped out a lot of them even though I didn't really think I was good at it he said to me man of course you're not good at it you've never done it like that how do you think you get good at something you know what I mean I'll never forget him saying that he had a very like clear understanding of what it takes to be great at something at a very young age. Yeah. You're talking about a 19-year-old kid looking a 20-year-old kid in the face and being like, dude, you need to practice something to get good at it. Just start writing and write a lot and don't worry about if it's good. Just quantity over quality and eventually that quality will come. That's how quality comes. He taught me that, and 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 I took it to heart, and really, you know, you know, tried to contribute as much as I possibly could, not being a songwriter. In the process, I learned something about writing songs, you know, constructing melodies and constructing vocal sections, and I've people in interviews will be like, "How do you write a song? Like, what's your method of writing a song?" You know, and I'll be like, "Well, you know." It, it changes every time. Sometimes I start with the melody. Sometimes I start with the lyrics. Sometimes I just start with the chord progression. Sometimes I do it on the computer and, you know, and, and start with the drum beat. A every song's a little different, you know. Boom Shanker and, and Abraxas uh, started with the, a drum beat and a, and a bass line on the computer. And then I actually, note for note, like I went in and I plugged in one note after another and compose them by, you know, like coding them out, you know, uh, in a grid. And that's 
painstaking process, but you know, you you get the chance to continuously tweak it and change the melodies, you know, note for note as you go, and you know, you get a great a great uh, product that way. And you know, and other times I'm on the beach, and you know, and just in my head I'll be all of a sudden kind of whistling you know and i'm just like bum 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 you know and i was doing i was on the beach and i was like what am i even singing right now and i ran home to figure out the question i was like i got to just keep singing bum 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 the whole way home and you didn't have a phone to sing it into no no and then i picked up uh uh, who brings their phone to the beach? Can, can we? Well, can we talk about that in a couple minutes? Well, fat leave, guys, you don't want to take their shirt off. Maybe leave your phone at home. You're at the beach. It's sand. You're. This is an electronic device. Leave your phone at home. You're only getting sand on the inside of a very important, expensive electronic device that you're going to need to stare at for about twenty hours a day. So. You, can you not take the two hours in the beach without the phone? So I ran home and I picked up my guitar and bum, 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 you know, and that was the beginning of, of that song. But, uh, but I wanted to do something that didn't have a four chord, you know, eight bar progression for when I was writing therapy because I had been listening. I, I had just watched the Dogtown and Z-Boys documentary about, you know, uh, Stacey Peralta's movie about the skateboarding in the 70s out west. Man, you got to watch this movie. I will. Not the movie from the Hollywood. The documentary that the guys from Dogtown made. It is beautiful. It's a compelling, beautiful story. And, uh, and there's like a punk song in it that's that has a five chord progression that goes in like bars of ten, you know, in like ten bar uh, cycles. And I was just kind of listening along, and I was like, "Oh, what's going on in this song? This is cool, you know." And like I do with every song: one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. You know, oh wow! It's like uh, playing in the band. Do you ever you ever count along? It's in seven. It's in weird. ten. It's in ten the whole way through, you know. That's you why know, it's deceptively hard to play, right? Yeah, play and that's why the in the band nine ten daybreak, and that's why it's daybreak hard. on the land nine ten right. you know. And that's why the reprise is tricky, right? The whole Cause yeah, because the they're in because they're in four in the jam. Eventually, it morphs back into four or eight, you know, and then eventually they have to bring it kind of almost all the way down to where they sort of catch the ten again and bring it back in. Unless you're J Rad, in which case you can just automatically yeah. do anything. Right. Um, they're reinventing it, but staying in the spirit. Impressive. But 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 um. That's what I'll do when I'm listening to any music that sounds like it's not compl- just right in four. I immediately start counting along with it. I mean, like, you know, it's like estimated profits in seven, the 11s in 11, you know, planes in 10. And, like, I actually sit there and count 10 the whole way through because I it boggles my mind that even through the whole, all those melody sections and everything, there's those extra two beats. And you never even think about it you just feels that it's not exactly the way that it normally is so this happened with the dogtown z-boy thing and i was like oh 10 that's cool 
let me write something like that. And that's how I came up with the That's cool. Yeah, it's kind of has that same has that same kind of vibe, a ten beat vibe that playing has. And but you would never it, it, it works. It's so smooth that it doesn't even really sound like it's in an off time, which is when an off time really is great. You know, when you have to kind of at one point ask yourself, what's weird about this? Why does it sound so different than everything else and cool? And so, yeah, that's that's, you know, writing songs is something going back to the beginning of the conversation on songwriting. Writing songs is you know something that just like everything else you have to start somewhere and you can only get better at it by doing it more and more and uh speaking of starting somewhere you know the chemical warfare to go back to the chemical warfare brigade you know i i felt like i guy had written a rock opera you know i felt inspired to like to write eight or ten songs that all were also connected you know and it was like a cool thing to do in the fish scene you know they had their thing and so I just started working on something, and that was at a time where, like, all the movies were, like, Reservoir Dogs, and, like, you know, I was getting David Pulp Fiction, and I was, you know, inspired by my friend who was a pot dealer, Albert Lai, is, was my pot dealer, and... and He's the Little Lie? He was Little Lie. That song's a little... Is that more autobiographical than most of your songs? Um, no, not, not more... Not really no they're all autobiographical they're either they're all either about me or just a made-up story about somebody you know what i mean like people say like you know or or real people like bernstein and chasna for trooper you know what i mean but yeah they're they're mostly just stories and if anything you know like john lennon says if anything mate they're just more about me and yoko than anything else you, you ever see that documentary where the, Is that the imagined one? The hot, the hippie on acid comes yeah, up to his house, house and yeah. they let him in and sit yeah. down with him and he's like telling them that he thinks they're singing about him. <laughs> and he's like, they're just words. <laughs> they're just words, friend. If anything, they're about me and Yoko. You know, so. Tell the world. So, and for anybody who wanted to correct me to Yoko and I, it's not. It's me and Yoko. I said it right. Uh, so yeah, man. There's, there's. What else you want to talk about? Do you, uh, I came across a cassette the other day, ten thirty one ninety eight. Okay. Some freaking frat house at UMass. Yeah. Was that not the night where Magner first started? Butterfield Dormitory. Yeah. Wow. Wow. He's right. <laughs> but that's a. I mean, there's not a lot of songs that night. You're just jamming, and if I'm. Well, we did a I'm, we did a nug huffer, a big nug huffer there. If you if you remember. But weren't you? First, that you, what you're thinking of okay. So, what you're thinking of is ten thirty one ninety seven okay. at, at a fraternity at at Phi Sig fraternity in, in University of Pennsylvania, and that is where the JP eight thousand was debuted. Okay, and we played like Run Like Hell and Morning Dew, Morning Dew, and that was it. And it was like and Radiator. And that was it. Three songs for like three hours. I think it was Run Like Hell, Into Morning Dew, Into Radiator. And did you instantly know this is going to this is going to be the sound of our band moving forward? I wish that I had contributed to this brilliant moment in time. But the truth was that Sammy and 
Magner like revolutionized the whole game just right there in that moment. Like Sammy just started playing four on the floor, man. When he heard Magner, when he heard, I'm assuming this is what happened. Magner gets a new synth. Magner plays something that's reminiscent of house music on the synth for the first time. Sammy hears it and is like, oh, that sounded like house music. Boots, 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 boots. And the game has changed <laughs> from there on out. And we were on acid, of course, because we were always on acid. <laughs> and so we were like, you know, we just like rode that beat for two and a half hours because why not do that when you're on acid and you <laughs> discover a new style of music? May as well do it for hours. Uh, and then somehow we ended up in fucking Morning Dew, which was beautiful. Yeah. And then... Not exactly transfusion, but still. And then we ended up in Radiator. Boom, boom, boom. We're in the boom. end. Radiator Jam was so big. I think somebody was crying. Pretty sure it was me. I think it was me. Because how would I remember it otherwise? But I, I think I was really like was brought to... I cried at Silk City. I think I was brought to tears. Do you remember oh Silk City? God, if you didn't cry at Silk City, then we would have to check you for having a heart or not. Please. I had to talk my girlfriend into leaving New York. We had tickets for Fish New Year's. You had played the late night the two nights before. And my girlfriend was a hardcore Fish fan. For those who don't know, he's talking about 12-29 and 12-30-98 at the Wetlands. Legendary Sick. game-changing shows for the Sick. Disco Biscuits. Sick shows. They were one of the night. <coughs> I mean, Three things happened that year that, that broke the band. And th that was one of, one of them was that we got those shows that they were, had been given to Strange Folk two years previous. They were given to Mo. And, like, whoever got that show, like, blew up. It was just what happened. Like, you know, you get that show one year, and then the next year you're, like, headlining, gathering the vibes, and you're gigantic. That didn't happen to us quite that way, but, but the shows did launch us nationally. In addition to when we went out on our tour right after that, and we went around the, the, the January 99 through across the whole country. Played Natick. Coming back to... Uh, 320 ending 32799 at Graffiti's when we did Michigan East Lansing Michigan and then uh and then uh was Ann Madison? Arbor we did Ann Arbor yeah we did Madison the week before and there was a great with the church Ben Silver was there at this church afterwards and you and played the school too the Mango Grill too didn't you wasn't that yeah, in Yeah we did uh, two Madison shows Yeah was that on that on that September tour I know that Ben Silver at that that was earlier in the year because Ben Silver oh, okay. you know if you want to see something cool <clears throat> Go take a look at our touring schedule from 1999. What you'll see is a band that starts out at the beginning of the year as a 200-person right. club band. Mm -hmm. By May is playing in 500-person like uh, clubs, and then by like the end of you know the year, suddenly we were in theaters across the Trocadero. nation. Yeah, and it ha and it went fast, you know. Now we did the Trocadero jump was it early in the season when we oh, and for 9.99 when we came back from graffitis and those are some of the best shows that we've ever played. Like, you know, we played a 52 show tour and we ended there, took a week off and then came back out and played again and the band was just on a level that yes. you you can only get on by playing 52 shows and 55 nights and you know, it was best band on the planet. It, uh, Andy Gay Deal was saying every night best show I've ever seen up oh, week later up oh, this is the best show I've ever seen 
And I don't think he was being frivolous. I think he was being sincere. So that takes me to the number two thing that happened to us was that right at the beginning of that tour, Andy Gay Deal posted, great segue, Andy Gay Deal posted on his Gay Deal Fish page, and he had a lot of leverage in the scene at that point. There oh, weren't yes. a lot of places to go for information about jam bands, and his page was uh, uh, had a huge reach. Absolutely. At, at any rate, he... Um, he uh, Posted on his page, which was something that he wasn't really doing. Hey, if you're into great music, go see the Disco Biscuits. This is their tour dates. They're about to embark on a tour. And every show had 300 people at it on that whole entire tour. It launched us. And the third thing Bless that you, happened, Andy. Bless you. Bless you, Andy. Gay deal. Uh, and the third thing that happened was uh, Andy Bernstein... And Brian Salentano and Larry Chasnoff writing about us in the Farmer's Almanac in the From the Bottom section. And these guys had uh, a crazy amount of ca- of capital in the, in the scene at a time where uh, the Internet hadn't really hit as the spot where everybody was trading information. You know, it was pre-social media. You know, it was rudimentary social media at that point. Listservs and message boards and discuss biscuits was popping off we had a great listserv but it was you know pt really was just starting you know it was the 20 year anniversary of pt last week so it's that was 1999 it was just starting and it hadn't really taken off in terms of a place but guys like andy gadiel can he he was able to move the needle with one post uh, and change a band's career i mean he really changed a band's career and that's the kind of stuff you like you hear about in the 60s or 70s with like what was the moment and for so many people it was like uh, you know being on the Ed Sullivan show or whatever getting a review in the New York Times that was uh, yeah or you know or, or getting a radio hit or MTV hit or whatever it was but for us that was like our MTV hit was like gay deal being like hippies unite around this band and they did and and that was a and you had thing. people used to hand out Incredible amounts of flyers at shows too. I saw a kid who looks like he would like Star Kitchen earlier today, and I thought, man, we really were unreal with our Gorilla Street team marketing. I was I mean, part of that. We, I would, I would hit the fish walkouts with tons of them. I, I mean, remember kids, Worcester. we were doing it ourselves. Yeah. I mean, we'd show up with five thousand flyers, just the four of us, or ten thousand flyers, and get them all out at a show with fifteen thousand people at it thinking to ourselves if we hand out 10,000 flyers everyone in this place is going to know about this show and that is what happened we were able to get we were able to get that ad out to people without e- taking a big ad out even the people who don't go get familiar with the name everyone got there were a couple times I put fish really set lists on one side and then the biscuits ad on the other yeah those were the days Tammany Hall remember Tammany Hall of course that place was an energy box you gotta tell how did you, and we'll let you go I know you got to do sound check. I got it. Let's talk about Stanley Jordan and end with that. You, can you talk about how you met Stanley? Well, you guys were a young band. You get somehow to play with Stanley Jordan. And in the jam, you, you did something along the lines of what you were talking about earlier, about how you moved from a key from one key to another, and you got a look of impress from him yeah. at a young age. I do remember this moment. We were at the jammies at Roseland. Oh, was it was a jammies We were thing. playing at, with Stanley Jordan and John Popper. And we were jamming over three days by Jane's Addiction. And uh, we're in E minor, and we're just jamming along. And, you know, 
the great jam bands all change keys in the middle of their keys. But, you know, I think like maybe I don't know what Stanley Jordan's used to. They're, they're probably used to just playing the songs the way that the songs go. You know what I mean? So in the middle of the jam, instead of landing down on an E, I landed on a G, which if you don't know about bass, bass is an incredibly powerful instrument that has the ability to reharmonize everybody just by changing what root note I land on. So if everybody is playing an E minor and I hit a G, the crowd will hear G major. That's what just happens automatically. And the musicians will hear it too. It's it's me hitting a G changes the notes. They they don't change their notes. They stay the same. It changes the mode and it changes the key. And so if everybody's really good, they you know, and certainly Stanley Jordan's really good, mm. then they'll hear it and not do any, not react to it, except for his reaction was I landed on the G, the whole thing changed, like, you know, the vibe of the whole jam changed, the whole room changed, the lights probably went yellow and red with it, you know, and he just instantly turns his head, like, just straight to the right, almost like I got a glare shot at me, but, like, right at the end of the glare, he looks at me, and just that mouth opens up wide, huge smile, and he looks at me with that smile, and I was just like... Yes, I the did encouragement it. of a virtuoso has got to be a beautiful thing. Yeah, it was great. You know, I, I, I was telling you the other day along those lines. I was Carl Denson turned to me a couple of years ago in a jam. We were playing these Grateful Dead songs at the Ardmore with John Catalichek, and he turned to me and he's like solo. And I looked at him and I'm like, no. But <laughs> then everyone had dropped out, and I was the only one that was in, so I had to take a little solo. So I go. just did a little thing with the rhythm. I didn't want to get too fancy. I wanted to get in and out as fast as possible. Nothing too fancy. Good thinking. But I did. Um, I just kind of broke the rhythm up and did a polyrhythmic move over the top of it as I was moving down the scale. And uh, and Carl did the same thing. Turned his head to the left, gave me a nod and a smile. And I was like, Yes. Love getting a nod and a smile from a musical hero. I mean, those are moments we'll be talking about for the rest of our lives or not talking about, depending on how much humility we choose to have as we go through the second half of our lives. Well, thank you so much for your time. Are the guys, thank the, you, the four guys in the Disco Biscuits, closer as friends now than they've been? Yeah, than probably ever. Are you working out more in person, working songs out, than emailing stuff to each other now? Well, John lives in L.A., Alan lives in Denver and Aaron and I live in Philly. So the beauty of Splice is if you don't know what Splice is, it's like a Dropbox for your Ableton files or for your Logic or Pro Tools files. So I'll be last night I went on to Splice, which is it's an app. I went on to Splice and I saw that John had just made a new version of it, of our file and uh, I clicked on it and I saw that he had recorded 45 minutes of guitar and he had just finished recording it and then he clicked on it and I got a notification that he had just finished recording and then I opened that up and I once he was done and I knew he was done I opened the file up and I played bass for an hour and 20 minutes and then I recorded that and I clicked that and then he gets a notification back that I've updated the file with my bass parts wow. he invented that technology wow. yeah and uh, and uh, Everybody in the industry uses it. I mean, it's a huge, huge organization, a business, corporation, Splice. And it's just, they've done like many levels of rounds of, of raising money and, and, and are a hugely profitable company. It's a great, it's, 
as a tool, it's revolutionized the way that I'm making music right now. I'm using it with both Star Kitchen and with the Disco Biscuits, and I'm also using it with my own DJ project where I started make, writing recently, started writing like kind of deep house, tech house songs because I feel like if I'm going to DJ, I should be composing that style of music as well so I could play some originals in there. And so, I'm, again, I feel very vulnerable about it. But go for it. Good vulnerability is the root of creativity. And this summer, I, I spent six weeks working on a set of electronic music that I haven't shared with anybody yet. Vulnerable to fans who love you. I, I, so could that, play, I could play some for you when we get offline here. I could play okay. one, of, one of the songs. And, Will you have a rehearsal room with you when you tour? Um, with the Biscuits? Yeah. Of course. We always do. And we do you were, think- I think we were the first band that started bringing a rehearsal room because we moved away from living together. So oh. we had out of just, again, born out of necessity. We needed to change that and now i know fish does it umphrey started a couple years after us everybody started with the with the backstage rehearsal room is this tour load an anomaly or do you have a feeling that the biscuits are back and they're going to be doing more shows per year are you not really sure are you going to see how it goes i just don't want to like i don't want to say something and that you know i'm not a superstitious person i'm all in that was how i ended my last email to barber I'm all in. Earlier today, I said, hey, I just want you to know I'm all in. Like, everything you're saying, I'm so far behind it. And we were talking about about this exact subject you're talking about. Yeah, I think we're going to end up playing a lot, you know, strategically. But, you know, and we know that there's places that we need to go that we haven't been in years that we're going to have to rebuild. But one thing we found is that we're bigger in a lot of those places than we were the last time that we've played. We go back to places that we never did 600 people in, and we do 2,000 people there now. Why is that? Well, the dead connection could help. You guys not, didn't just play with Mickey and Bill, but you crushed it at Red Rocks. Crushed it. And humbly speaking, the tracks that we did at Dear Jerry for Merryweather. Some, that called, was a some called the highlight of the show. Bellwether moment for the Disco Biscuits. Is that a phrase? I, th- I just used something I've never said before. It it's was close a, enough for jazz. It was a moment in time for us where we said to 25,000 people who love one kind of music that we're capable of putting <clears throat> it out in a way that some, including the Washington Post, might call the highlight of the show. Mm-hmm. Some, I thought, you know, I thought the whole show was great, personally, but I've heard people say that it was the highlight. I read it in the Washington Post, and you learn quickly. Don't believe the, you know, things that you read that are good, or you got to believe the bad ones, too. So I try to just kind of judge for myself and I listen to it all the time it's our fourth most popular Spotify track the Scarlet uh, Rider from so there's that but what else is there there's the YouTube streams that we stream every show for free on that's YouTube huge. you need you need credit for that because that's a revenue stream that you're passing on to get your music out to your fans for free that is huge a big it's what Jerry would have wanted. That that's is, a good point. That's the truth. Is is Jerry wouldn't want us all charging ten dollars for people to be able to see it. He'd be like, "Man, this technology is here. Just give it away. We need to get the music as far as possible. We need to get this music into people's hands. That's why the tape. This is the modern day taper section. Don't worry. We'll take care of it for you. We'll make it HD. We'll stream it in real time on YouTube." For free in the highest quality possible, and if we feel that we can even make it a higher quality after the fact, we'll go back around and do that for you. Don't even worry about the cost. 
that's of nobody's consequence besides us. This is when I watched the Grateful Dead documentary and they talk about how they had no regard for cost. They were bleeding money because they didn't care. They cared about the art and the music and the dissemination of that art and that music. And if you get caught up on the bottom line, then that's going to get in the way of, uh, of, of being able to create at the highest levels. And John, John, give John credit. Because he was the one who came to us and said, we need to give up on this revenue stream. We need to, this is a negative revenue stream for us. But man, it's just, it, it's, it's like, we don't market besides that. You know, that's, that's, that is like how we give our music. That is our gift back to the fans. Shout out to Whites Are Panic. They, uh, audio only, but that's fine. They're not pretty guys, but they give an audio of the soundboard every show they play That's too. cool. In real time? Yes. That's cool, man. Final and question. Soundtribe did, Soundtribe did it too for, I don't know if they're still doing it, but did they, they? they do free streams, but they do a one camera. We're bringing a... Uh, Professionally shot. We're bringing a full crew. Yeah. We, we have a whole... The Disco Biscuits have two full crews. We have our sound and lights crew, and then we have our video crew, and it's two full crews, two separate vehicles. You've been really generous with your time. I end with this. I'll never stop talking if you don't pull stop me. Right now. <laughs> well, I got to repeat. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, it seems to me quite clear that, at least in some part, John is re-interested in the Disco Biscuits because of his podcast, Touchdowns All Day. And he was inspired to do that podcast by Osiris Podcast, by Osiris Media. Is it safe to say that perhaps Osiris inspired Biscuits returning to the road? Yeah, well, I think that it was just a confluence of events. Like, you know, like it's just all of these things coming together at the same time. You know, John said to me one time and I, you know, I'll let him tell you this story on your podcast when he get when you land him one day. But he he the first indication that I had that things were changing was he just said something in passing to me very quickly. One might not have even noticed it, but he said it was a couple of years ago when he broke his foot and he was out in Colorado and he was supposed to be skiing. He said, I went out to Colorado and I was like, I'm just going to take a couple months off from coding and just hang out in Colorado and do the winter thing and just take a break. And then when I get, when I get the itch to start again, I'll start again. And he's like, and you know what? I haven't gotten the itch to start again <laughs> in passing. And then he left, and I kind of just was falling asleep that night and just taking in the whole, the show we played, all the different things that happened that night. And then as I was falling asleep, his words went back through my head where, he, where I was like, oh, did Barbara mention in passing that he hadn't gotten the itch to start coding again? And then as I fell asleep that night, I was thinking to myself, this is, could be something here. And, and there was. He picked his guitar back up and started doing his acoustic shows and started writing and playing for the acoustic thing. And it's just, man, it's gotta be genuine. It's gotta come from the heart. It's gotta come from the heart. And if it's not coming from the heart, then take eight years off, you know? And I have fans out there who, or we, I should say, we have fans out there who have said they're having a hard time coming to grips with the fact that all of the shows that they've seen in their whole career of seeing the biscuits, their favorite band that they've seen over a hundred shows of have been in this period that we consider kind of a hiatus. Hmm. Like set break is over. This girl was like, so you're telling me all of my shows have been a set break. (laughs) 
And it's sort of like the second set's going to be sick. Yeah, but that should only make you more excited for what's to come. <laughs> he is he ever so, even though you've known him so long since you're so young, is he ever his brilliance ever intimidating? Inspiring. Never intimidating? Always inspiring. And it was great to get time with Mark. If if that ended awkwardly, that's because uh, you're an awkward guy. Rob. The last episode was inverted. The interview was inverted. So right, we have right, the end right, right, right. Yeah, Rob, thank you. I forgot that we were doing that because we love the biscuits and we love their fans and we love the excitement that's going on oh, in the that community. Excitement. They're about to rip through the South January fifteenth at the Ritz in in Raleigh. Excuse me, January sixteenth, the Fillmore. The, the Fillmore in Charlotte. If I can get someone to ride with, I'll go to that. And then two nights at the Fillmore Sandy Spring bunch more dates and i'm sure more to come and i'm maybe hoping, atlanta when they come into atlanta i'm hoping new year's but people i, I put that maybe on build into that i could see that again i put that on the internet but i don't have any inf- inside information that's I totally mean, speculation that's and i think away, if but... sector nine wants it they can get it still is that the case yeah, but or? i think they probably want to keep the demand and do like not every year you know okay um, but i don't know i'm not an industry guy yeah depends on the day <laughs> oh but, man rob but uh, you rob, know before we finish i want to thank spencer that day, the other day, we went to the studio uh, with Railroad Earth coming in and, and whatnot. And Seth didn't tell him it was a full band, so he was scrambling. Or is that not it? Something happened. No, that's right. Nobody knew it was there, a full it, band. It, there was, the, the communication was very, very short between the two of so us. So Spencer rallied and, and put it together, and then Railroad Earth ran out of time, and they, they went. They did such a great job. They came in, and they, 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 you know, it wasn't like they just plugged and played. I mean, they took their time to really get it right. Yeah, and they played their hearts out on the three songs sometimes we can get very casual performances not to blame i mean when you have it when it's a day of a show and you have another show to play you want to you maybe want to save you know your best for the show of course but the compliment that that the band gave about the experience was so wonderful they said that that for them it was so easy Uh, and they, they you know being right across from the variety walking into a professional studio getting things dialed in right in a very short amount of time they thought it was they the feedback was very comfortable and that you know and that's and that's why they they were able to do that at such ease. Hopefully, so hopefully we'll we'll have more that yeah, will do that. Hopefully more artists. I know there's been some recently that I would have loved to have had in there and you didn't know and, work and, out. But in time, I mean, the more that these things happen, the more artists get it, get ease into it. You know, like I think there's there's a unique opportunity that's right next door there 
So it makes makes it for a, a lucid uh, op- uh, uh, show. But there's an elephant in the room, Seth. <laughs> Fish New Year's Eve gags are always good. Hang but, on. But hang oh on, my hang God, on. dude. Oh, my God. This was amazing. Can you imagine being there? And I'm not like that. I've seen, I saw Fish so many times back in the day. But New Year's Eve, I was like very much in the mind where, wow, that must have been amazing to be at. Kind of like the chilling thrilling. I thought yeah. that was even though I was not that even right. though I don't really dig the vamps yeah. as they've played out into the repertoire. I think that one would have been no, good. No, that was that was like your jaw was dropped the whole time, and it was super entertaining. But can you imagine the band rising up in the air? I mean, and you know, I, and then getting stuck. And you can tell Mike Gordon was like, "Crank me up all the way." You know, he's. I think he's talked about he's, levitating at shows or being. He's uh, you flown know? last year. He flew. Remember, last year they flew him. Oh, that's right. Yeah. But still, he went all way up higher than the other ones. Of course, Trey got stuck, which is all whimsical now. But um, apparently, got a little. The webcast was pretty good about pulling out. You didn't really see it. There was one point when they took the break after. Would it be after sand or after? Yeah, I think it would be after sand. That it was. You know, his platform was tilted. He wasn't just stuck. It was tilted at first. Mm. And he, at one point, when they were trying to correct it, actually had to crouch down and hold his. I did see. I remember him crouching down, but I didn't realize that. But then they leveled it, and he was able to play from the elevated thing, and it was just fantastic. Well done, Fish. I, you know, but everybody's freaking out about the thirtieth, which is a great show. That tweezer is really cool. I, I thought, I don't know. I thought they weren't dialed in until it quieted down. But people, everybody loves it. Whatever. I listened to that today. That and then what's weird is like the tweezer, thirty what thirty minutes or whatnot. I mean, so I'm packing for Jam Cruise. I'm listening to that and. It ends, and I'm like, wait a second, I thought this was 30 minutes. So yeah. I go over to the to stereo, by. and it's like, oh, it was 30 minutes. It flies by. To me, it's when, so it, moving. when it got quiet, they locked they locked in hard, and that part to the end. And then I thought Ruby and Steam and back into Tweezer and Ruby, I thought all of that was great, too. Everybody's talking about the Tweezer. I thought all that was good. Yeah. And Slave was, was pretty good. It, um, it's nice to have a Slave at the end of that. I think it was earth-shattering. Right. The night before, the Harry Hood that ended the show was yeah, that just... Was good. Trey Magnificence, where he was co- commanding the band without doing the rock star. It was just, he was so in control. They're so at home at that venue. It's uh, it's so neat to see the way that Corot is able to oh light up that venue oh because it really is like, like none other. I mean, what yeah. other show on earth is doing, you know, that breath getting back to the tweezer that the, the lights were just all over the place. Did you see if the seen uh, fan shot stuff. You see the, um, uh, what do they call it? Still video or whatever? It goes really fast. Uh, slow motion? Time lapse? Time lapse. Yeah. Thank you. <laughs> Denver, Colorado. Not yet. I would like to see that. So there's a time. Yeah. Time elapsed. It's really good. So it's understandable. If you're at the show and you're maybe fluffing that tweezer, it's probably understandable. Fluffing that tweezer. It probably was pretty sick live. Should, that's good. I like the fluff tweezer. Have, they, the have tweezer. we got a fluff tweezer before? And by the way, they played Fluffhead really well, we too. We see fluff tweezer head. Just was all really. They, they just. I think they're playing really well in general. They um, and then Umphreys too. We have Ben Factor. Hopefully, maybe the thirteenth. I'm bringing something up. Ben with you on the Factor. Air. If we could maybe Who's interview ben Factor? ben Factor on the phone, the thirteenth, that would be great. Their new lighting designer. The new lighting designer. Yeah, why not? And I'm going to do great. a quick little review of the Umphreys run then. But I got to say one thing. They one opened, thing. One thing. They, their first set, the thirtieth, was all Ringo. They went in and out of a couple of lyrical stews. They had Kyle come in and not only sit in, but he kind of led the jam at one point, and he did a call and response with Joel. Kyle. Kyle Hollingsworth oh, from uh, yeah. String Cheese, and he had opened with his band. And freaking your boy, our boy, but your boy, really, Jeff Coffin. Folks, Jeff loves Seth. 
He really does. When you were on stage at that club playing <laughs> trumpet, see. he looked like a proud poppy. He was giggling. <laughs> he was filming you. I filmed him filming you, I think. Oh, yeah, that's funny. But right. um, just tremendous. The, uh, the improv was so natural. It starts right out at the the first, when Ringo first opens up real early, Jake is just really expressive on the guitar, and it unfolds so naturally. It's it's just fantastic. And I, I, Can you listen I, to that on Nugs.net? Yes, you I can. think so. I, 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 can you stream it? I honestly think, Seth, you know me, I'm anti-hyperbole. But it's almost 20 years that I've been a fan. I've been listening to them for about 20 years. And I've been a fan for close to 20 years. Um, I think it's the best segment of music I've ever heard them deliver. Wow. I, I, I thought it was just... Where were flowed. they in Colorado? The Ogden? I or? think that was the Fillmore. And there were three. Fillmore? Here, let me pull it up. I can no, answer Fillmore. I think you're right. I can yeah. answer both of those questions. Uh, tell um, us, you're headed to Jam Cruise. Well, I am headed to Jam Cruise. What are you most excited about, uh, you know, activities-wise? Um... Oh, there's just so much. I mean, like George Porter being our jam talks this year, our feature jam talks. Excellent. Uh, and uh, I'm excited about the um, Acoustic Cafe with Keller, Brock, and Ryan Montblou. Brock, Brock Butler, Keller Williams. Really excited about that. I have a Ryan Montblou jam crew story. Rob Turner jam crew stories. You know the spot, Nathan Moore's thing. Oh, yeah. We were pulling back into port. Was it? I don't know if it was the most recent one or my first. Well, I guess it would have to be the most recent because I think of my first most one. Most recent one for you. Yeah. Which, which was would what, be. 13? Jampers 13. Were you there at the bar mitzvah? I forget. <sighs> I don't know. I'm not I good. don't think you were at the bar mitzvah. I don't remember being at the bar mitzvah. He was at the bar, but not the bar mitzvah. They're definitely at the bar. The Bahava. Um, but I remember pulling into port, sitting at the spot. Right. Uh, no, it was the last one because um, I can't say why I remember. <laughs> but we're sitting there at the spot and Brad and Andrew and all these other, uh, I think it was first uh, Brad and Andrew from The Slip, who, by the way, reuniting. Uh, and it was when I first met um, Anders Beck from Green Sky. And I think Paul was there. It was when I first met them. And we're coming in and I remember Ryan back off away from us singing Sitting on the Dock of the Bay as we pulled in. And that motherfucker belted it out. It was awesome. It was awesome. Yeah. So, uh, props to Ryan Montblanc. It's nice to hear that he's on there. Oh, a lot Brock of Les, right? Keller. Well, no, Les and so Les and Sean Lennon, they're there. Yeah. Uh, by the way, I know you know it's all day one. They leave day two. You're not a big psychedelics guy. I no, know. Definitely. But if you ever did them, it would Claypool not be, Lennon, it would not be on Jam Cruise when I'm working. Claypool Lennon Delirium. Oh my God. Someday I might have to, you know, for that. It's really psychedelic music. It really is. Mm-hmm. And make sure you meet Sean Lennon and tell him about the podcast. Give him your little card. Seth has his card where you can just put it by the phone and put the, the contacts go right in. Do that to Sean Lennon, please. We want to have him on the show. We will have less on the show eventually, but Sean Lennon. He Maybe we'll happen? do something when they uh, come to Atlanta for uh, Sweetwater 420 Fest. By the way, if you're, I mean, I'm going to plug Sweetwater 420 Fest here, folks, because they're not a sponsor. They should be. Hey, Sweetwater, feel free to sponsor us. We're happy to promote you. But so should Jam Cruise. Yes, <laughs> that's true too. <laughs> but uh, but uh, but uh, but uh, Sweetwater 420 Fest this year looks outstanding. So if you've been thinking about coming to Atlanta, definitely come Sweetwater 420 Fest. Which, speaking of Les Claypool, Oysterhead is on the bill this year. And mm-hmm. A bunch of other stuff, I can't remember. But I wonder, will Oysterhead be the big Saturday night thing, you think? Saturday? Who knows? I don't know. It's going to be wild because, you know, it's downtown Atlanta. So mm-hmm. these headliners, like when Umphreys was playing, I, I was loving that Umphreys music was filling downtown Atlanta. Yeah. Now it's going to be Oysterhead. Oh, my God. New album? What are you thinking? I'm hoping, but what would you if think? not, it's... then I don't think we'll get many more dates than the ones we're getting in May. Supposedly we're getting a few scattered dates in May. 
And if there's no album, then I don't think we'll get a fall tour. You're like a weatherman for music. Well, there's uh, oyster heads coming through, and it's going to only scatter through, though. It's going to be scattering just a couple days of the summer, and it'll move on. Uh, Thermocumulus oyster head show. Is it thermocumulus? Stratocumulus. It's a type of cloud, South. Happy New Year, everyone. Thanks so much for listening. Again, what we said in the beginning of the show, we're going to end the show with. Take a minute. Support us. Right now, we're asking you to support us, not financially. We're just asking you to support us by sharing the podcast and writing reviews on the appropriate sites. Thank you all so much for listening. Happy 2020. Take care of yourselves. and One more time. E-L-R-E-F-U-G-I-O-S-T-E-W-A-R-T dot org. Check it out, particularly if you live in Georgia. But not just if you live in Georgia. Great organization. And it uh, doesn't matter where your political proclivities lie. This is a great organization to support. Can you imagine if you went to a country and you know your family was ripped apart? Or if you're already living in a country and your family got ripped apart? I mean, But well, uh, while the family's still here, ladies and gentlemen... Let's close the show, Rob, with a little bit more. Star Kitchen.
a dawn out there. Our kitchen. We thank y'all for coming out. I see a lot of people out there. I need a lot more noise out there. Woo! Woo!
are on keys over there. Got Danny Mayer on guitar. Myself, Marlon Lewis on drums. Give it up for this man right here that put everything together, Brownie, Mark Brownstein. Thank you again, everybody. We really enjoyed this time with y'all. We can't wait to come back. Tell all your friends, tell everybody, brothers, brothers, sisters, cousins, everybody. We're coming back, y'all. Possible to face when someone else is standing, always seems to know the way. We want to thank the new master staff for having us out here. Marlon Lewis, Bobby Sapphire, Danny Mayer, I'm Brownie. We love you guys. We'll be back soon.